It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. We're going to get some of that theme music. We got some theme music, but we're going to get some different theme music. You know, like, well, anyway, whatever. Keep what? Going. <laughs> we're going to do something. <laughs> we still kind of new at it. I mean, the bottom line is we can, you know, continue to uh, spice up our show. We got new listeners and all that other good stuff. So anyway, give us through the summer. Julie and I are going to work it out. Yeah. It's only episode seven, right? That's right. Only seven. <laughs> so what you what you been up to, Tor? Uh so let me see. Uh I saw my man when I was in Nashville on yesterday. I was down at the Sherm Talent uh conference and so I'm walking, I'm reflecting on the incredible day that I had and your guy Chad hollers out my name. Oh my man. Okay. That's right. Your Chad. So like literally it was so well timed. I had just had, you know, a dinner with some of the attendees from my event. We talked all things D and I. I had mentioned the Chad and Cheese show while we were at that dinner and of course plug Crazy and the King and and so needless to say, he hollered my name. He had me feeling like a Nashville rock star, uh, a Nashville country music rock star. Ooh, I don't know about that. Well, you know, so <laughs> needless to say, uh, Monday was a good day uh, over in Nashville. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, pumped about that. Nice. So listen, it was good. Yeah, it was good. Everything's cool. How about you? Yeah. Well, hey, I have to tell you that I loved the cool laid back torn look that you had. The um, yeah. the t shirt with the blazer that yeah. that was that was hopping that looked awesome yeah you know and, and let me tell you Julie uh, I couldn't get a a great shot of it but the front of the shirt said love L O V E my guy Tony from uh, Paradox AI uh, sent me a few of those shirts nice promised that I would rock it because I do every presentation uh, with some tribute towards love and so it just worked perfectly for me. Well, it looked great. It was probably the first time I've seen you out of a suit. Thank you. On stage, so I, I dig it. Thank you. So, so I'm actually live here in Dallas, Texas. Uh, just popped in for the National Diversity Council's annual conference. Pretty pumped up because we're exhibiting, but even more excited because President Obama is the keynote speaker on Thursday. And I'm just going to tell you that I have VIP seats for that. I have no idea what it means, mm. but I have them. Uh, VIP seats with no phone, uh, no recording device, <laughs> no, no cameras, no nothing. No selfie stick. Yeah, no selfie stick, but you will be in the room and I know it's going to be electrifying. And it's going to be awesome. It, it's the lineup here is stellar. And uh, yeah, if you're, you're around and you're listening, come see us. We'll be exhibiting in the exhibit hall and uh, then I'll be the, the crazy lady in front at the VIP section. And I'll make sure that I uh, connect you with Kimberly Jones from Kelton Legend. Uh, she's actually speaking at the event. She may actually be speaking on Wednesday, but I'll make sure that I connect the two of you together. Nice, nice. Definitely looking forward to seeing uh, Carmen Jones here too. She's speaking as well. Awesome, 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 awesome. So you're ready to, to hop into it, this first story? Yeah, let's do it. Take it away. 
Awesome. So got a lot of good news stories on on the show today. And this one is especially satisfying for me, I think. So United Airlines added gender non-binary options to their ticketing system. Um, In the last week or so, they're actually the first airline to implement non-binary options for their customers. So stop and, and give a quick applaud to United Airlines for being heavy first adopters. And so um, it's interesting because this is such a unique set of transitions that we're going through as a country where gender is is much more fluid and and less defined than certainly my generation or or any generation prior has been with really Gen Z and, and Gen Y. But what I think is really cool with the way that United Airlines are maybe not really cool, but really smart for United Airlines is that I think they recognize that state ID laws, federal ID laws are changing and that that X non-binary option is going to be on people's driver's license and potentially people's passports eventually. And so how are they going to manage that? But to be first adopters and really jump on board with with this as a customer solution. So let me ask you a question, Julie. Does this are you saying that when when I'm purchasing my ticket, if I go to uh, their website, it's going to be there in the drop down? Is it going to be in other places? For instance, if I call customer service, are they going to perhaps ask a question as to how I'd like to be identified? Uh, Has it gone that far or did you find out that information? And that's a really good question. It's going to be tied to your profile. So I have a United Airlines frequent flyer account. So if I identify as male, female, undisclosed and unspecified, which is the X, I thought that was a little weird. But at that point, you can choose your gender and the associates will identify you as that. I would say it might be, there might be some training issues if you're not a UA kind of airlines or frequent flyer number. So that'll be interesting to kind of watch how customer services, customer service manages that. But they've actually done some really great work with some organizations like the Trevor Project out of um, New York and some other training organizations to make sure that they're working with their customers uh, or I'm sorry, with their customer facing employees and their other employees to make sure that they're using proper pronouns, um, addressing people based on their user profile. So that's it's a really important step for, for non-binary inclusion. One organization they've worked with in particular called the Trevor Project, which I just mentioned, um, I've, I've got a special place in my heart. My son, and I think you know this, Torin, is, is gay. And when he was just coming out and, and still adjusting to all of the kind of changes with making that decision, public. Um, He actually utilized the Trevor Project a few times. Um, So they're a fantastic organization that provides mental health and crisis intervention to the LGBTQ community. You know, we talked about several weeks, but a couple weeks ago about Royal Caribbean and, you know, making sure that you have employees that are reflective of your customer base and that can manage and understand and empathize the situations that people with disabilities might be going through. And I think, you know, this is a great first step forward for United Airlines to engage really high level and powerful groups to train their workforce about how to appropriately engage individuals who identify as as non-binary and create a, a very positive guest experience for them. Yeah, no, I think it. I, I agree with you. And again, because of where we are um, in an extremely sensitive time, 
you know, depending on who you ask, we are most certainly going through a shift in our country and what people are willing to accept socially, what people are speaking up about socially, positions that organizations are taking. I absolutely applaud United in this, and I suspect that uh, what they will see in the months and the years to come is not necessarily a drop in business, but a continued growth in business. You know, as long as they are not, um, you know, infringing upon customers, and this is really not an infringement, but, you know, continuing to do a great job of providing a high degree of customer service, I don't see this right here as being an issue whatsoever. Yeah, and and, I mean... Just think about if you have an if you have an ID that has an, an X on it, and that's your gender marker. Um, United is the only airline right now that has that as an option. So, how much easier? Or if you have a choice between airlines, which one are you going to pick? You're going to pick the one that identifies you, that you identifies with you, that lets you fly being who you are, and without having to take extra steps or jump through extra hoops just to get on a damn plane, right? It's going to be interesting, be interesting to see uh, how long it takes for uh, the other airlines to follow suit if they do decide to follow suit. Be interested. Yeah, it sounds like the big players, American, Southwest, Delta, at least the big American players um, said, you know, that they are going to follow suit, but they don't really have a timeline. And I, I think it's just this is one diversity and inclusion and customer strategy that really has to be so thoughtfully put together because there are so many interactions, especially with airlines, where your identity has to be confirmed. And to make sure that you're getting that right through every step of the process, I mean, that that's going to take some work. And I was really surprised because the, that, you, that the airlines universally could um, put in place non-binary gender markers just came out. Um, from some of the international and American trade unions in the last couple of weeks. So for United to be out in front already is is pretty damn impressive. Well, but again, you are perhaps looking at it a little bit differently than I do, uh, because I'm saying to myself, it's nothing more than uh, a handful of software engineers going through all of the various platforms and uh, making sure that the APIs that are uh, you know, pulling from their system uh, you know, are able to read the code. If not, I'm thinking that it's a fairly easy fix uh, from a technical standpoint. I think it's more of a challenge when we are bringing humans into the equation, i.e. I am that ticket gate agent and I have to uh, acknowledge the various gender references uh, or pronouns, if you will, or I'm an individual on the phone uh, from a customer service, uh, customer support uh, position. I'm thinking that from a person standpoint, that would probably be more of a challenge. But who am I? Because I'm not a, a technologist. And so I <laughs> dialed in on that. Yeah, no, no. And, and it's cool. So, Torin, can we stop for a second? Can I just kind of ask you a question? Shoot. So today has just been kind of a day for me. It's been a tough day in disability and inclusion land for Julie. We'll just leave it at that. I've been doing this work for 10 years, going on 11. I'm just kind of frustrated and I'm kind of tired. And it occurred to me when I was flying um, into Dallas this morning that 
there probably are a lot of our listeners who are doing this good work, who are fighting the good fight every single day, but they have to get tired and exhausted. And, you know, just one peer to another, I, I'm curious, how do, how do you manage kind of these days when you're just like, screw it, we're, it's just not going to change. How do we make it better? I can't go on anymore. Yeah, so uh, I think that that's uh, categorized as what we call diversity fatigue. Uh, my dear friend Aubrey Blanche from Atlassian uh, wrote a great article. I want to say the article was picked up by the New York Times last year, uh, but Aubrey Blanche wrote a great article around diversity fatigue. If an individual puts people like you and others, if you put diversity fatigue in quotes on Google, you'll find a number of you know, blogs and podcasts and other medium posts uh, of people who are tired. You will find uh, insertions um, uh, and writings from people of color, particularly black and brown people that are, you know, feeling as if the phrase diversity and inclusion is nothing but a, a glass of water. Uh, because people are not serious about it. And so, quite frankly, they don't want to hear it themselves. And so that puts people like you and I in a very, very tough position because through the genuine effort and uh, intentionality that we give to this work day in and day out, you just have a, n- a number of individuals. You have white men that will take off running because they're tired of hearing it. They feel like they're getting beat up on. Uh, you have white women who, of course, are going to turn on turn around and run some, I should say some, uh, will turn around and and run because of course they're going to, you know, be supportive of, uh, the person that they are married to the person that they're related to the person that they are in relation, uh, with. And so, uh, you have, uh, black folks on the other side, black and brown people on the other side that are taken off and running because of the water, uh, watered down, uh, posture. So all I say to you, Julie is, um, it, it's, it, it is tiresome. It is challenging. Uh, but how do I push through? Yes. Uh, I push through because number one, I understand the, the, the impact that the, the, the effort has. And I know that I'm in a fight that is far greater than, than anything and anyone. And, and it, it's, it's bigger than, than I'll ever be. Uh, I know that it is a mission. It is a calling. It is my purpose. And so um, more than trying to build a multi-million dollar uh, recruiting firm, which I've done in the past, that's not of interest to me. This work right here is what moves me. I have family. I have friends who fit inside of a number of categories uh, that fall or cover the underrepresented. I am fighting and exercising voice for them. I'm making sure that we are not allowing people to um, to hide behind the veil of excuses. I'm making sure that we are not allowing people to help us to slip back into the 60s, the 50s, the 40s, and the 30s. I'm making sure that we are holding people accountable. I'm entering rooms all across this country with the confidence and the uh, vocal authority of a warrior, of a soldier. I am not going to capitulate or to quit. And so I think for me, it's just a matter of continuing to move. Uh, I am unwavered by people and their resistance to this work. Uh, And then last but not least, Julie, every once in a while, I'll get an email from someone who will tell me, 
Tor and I appreciate what you are doing or thank you for helping or thank you for calling or I appreciate you for pouring into my spirit because I was broken. I was feeling less than I was feeling as if I didn't deserve. I was overlooked. I was passed over. So I just understand when when people are responding to me, it refuels my tank. And so I'm hoping that in these three minutes <laughs> that I've refueled yours. Well, I just need to hear it sometimes, I think, right? Just keep on fighting the fight. But some days I just have to go, oh, I'm tired. And it's okay to say that, I think. it, And I think that we should all be able to admit, like you have and I have, that, you know, it is exhausting sometimes to fight this fight. But it, I, I couldn't agree more. It is absolutely the fight of a lifetime. I mean, I, I will try to work myself out of a job forever, right? Now, let me just say this to you, you know, on a lighter note, uh, before I got on the plane uh, yesterday, I did stop by the cigar store because I had an incredible <laughs> session. So I got a couple of great cliffs. I'm going to uh, pour me a glass of scotch. Nice. Uh, if you will. And we're going to make sure that we enjoy a nice stick, a nice scotch, and we are going to be rejuvenated as we push through. Uh, you know, I'm doing a presentation in uh, a couple of weeks at the Strive Conference for Yellow in Chicago, Y-E-L-L-O. And and one piece of that conference, I'm sorry, one piece of the presentation under dinosaurs, lions and diversity, I'm going to talk about diversity fatigue. So it's not something that people uh, are not experiencing. And it is something that I'm building into my signature presentation for 2019. So I'm glad you brought it up. And when I get the slide done, I'll make sure I send it over to you for approval. All right. I'll, I'll let you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So hey, let me talk about uh, Kyle Corbett. Oh, yeah. Uh, are you familiar with who he is? So I know he plays for the NBA. That That's about the, the long and short of it. Yeah, yeah. So he plays for the Utah Jazz. And Kyle Corver has actually been in the league since about 2003. And he wrote an incredible piece uh, this week, as a matter of fact, and he put it on. Um, it's the, the Players' Tribune. And I guess this is actually um, – uh, I, I want to say like a, a a blog or some correspondence between players, uh, but it, it's accessible by the public. Yes. So let me just say that I was able to read it. You're able to read it. Anyone's able to read it. And the piece is titled Privileged by Kyle Corver, K-O-R-V-E-R. And what I love about the name is because when you hear the word privileged, you begin to automatically associate that with groups of people. It may be the wealthy, or it may be the folks in a particular zip code, or it could be people in a particular area of the country. It could be a country itself. But oftentimes when we hear the word privilege and we associate white privilege to it, then we exactly know who is being referred to. And so he titled his piece, Privileged. And the piece, Julie, it goes into um, uh, an event that happened back in 2015 when one of his teammates, Thabo Cephalosha, uh, in 2015, uh, had an encounter with the New York Police Department. And so in 2015, this evening, you know, one, two in the morning, something like that, whatever it was, uh, I don't exactly know what happened, but Thabo, Thabo, uh, got into uh, an altercation with the New York Police Department and the police department actually ended up breaking his leg and arresting him outside of a New York City nightclub. Now, mind you, they broke his leg during the time of playoffs. Oh so 
They arrested the guy and they ended his season. All of the charges were dropped. I want to just put that at the top just in case a person tunes out of the podcast now because they think that I'm, you know, picking on the police or something of that sort. All of the charges on Thabo were dropped. Here's what's important. What Kyle did in this article and what many individuals need to do is he showed you what allyship looks like. He showed you what bias looks like. He showed you what speaking out against racism looks like. What he did was he dropped the three-pointer from his keyboard. Hell yeah, he did. That's exactly what he did. And so he wrote an incredible article that unfolds the uh, events of that evening. And then it gets real good because he talks about the next morning when he heard about what happened to Thabo. He didn't immediately defer to, I hope that he's all right. What happened? This must have been a mistake. He didn't go to that. He immediately went to what was Thabo doing out and what did he do? What did he do to bring this upon himself? And I won't go into the entire story, but I want to just highlight a few quotes that I thought were powerful. One of those quotes says, and I believe it's the responsibility of anyone on the privileged end of these, of of those inequalities to help make things right. So if you don't want to know anything about me outside of basketball, then listen, I get it. But if you do want to know something, know that I believe that. Know that about me. It is the responsibility of anyone on the privileged end of those inequalities to help make things right. Listen, for me, Julie, this is not a shame share. This is really a call on the truth. And the truth has really been avoided for far too long. Racism is institutionalized. And as a result of such, it is baked into a very fond appreciation for inequity, for stereotypes that happen to be detrimental in building community, family, and the workplace. And so I really, really appreciated Kyle Corver for writing this piece. I appreciated him so much that I sent him a tweet thanking him and letting him know that I'm going to be reaching out to his team because I want him to come on my show and I want to invite him to a DNI dinner that I'm doing later this year. Nice. Nice. I, I, I read this and actually I was reading it on the plane over again and um, it, it helped a little bit with my fatigue um, to, to be honest, because it was such a transparent conversation. I mean, it was almost, it almost read like an an internal monologue in some places. It, it was incredibly transparent to the point where, you know, he could get some criticism for it. And I, and I hope that he doesn't or, or it's minimal because I, we don't want to lose this message. And I think, you know, one thing that I struggle with, and you, you just said it, Torn, is that it, it is systemic, right? Racism, racism is systemic, and I know that, and I can see it, but as a, a person in the privileged bucket, right, I don't know always how to, how to help. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, let me just make a suggestion to you. 
And this is really not so much so for you, Julie, as it is for all of our listeners. This is not a zero sum game for me. So I'm going to make a suggestion to our listeners, and then I'm going to open myself up to their suggestion. And here's what I want. I want you to go to Audible or go to Barnes and Noble or go to any place where you purchase books. And I just want to give you a book. And I think I may do this one book a month for the next three to six months. Okay. The book I want to recommend this week is The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. Guarantee that if you read the book, then you will understand why so many different things have happened and how some of those things around institutional racism, around public policy, around how black and brown people show up, how they are not necessarily allowed to show up, and how our government has undergirded a variety of of laws and actions um, that have really disenfranchised black and brown people for an extremely long period of time, so much so that the effects of that participation, that sanctioning by our federal government is still present today. The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. And what I suggest is you read the book, but I'm open to our listeners. I'll read anything that you want me to read as it relates to history, as it relates to moving this message forward. I am open to reading and learning in ways that are even beyond my comprehension. I'm open to that. This is not a zero sum game. But again, you got to understand and be willing to explore. You got to be curious and you got to be curious for the yeah, truth. I, I mean, I love the book suggestion. I actually put it in my audible cart while we were talking and recording. Note. Um, one book that I actually just picked up about a week and a half ago was, um, or is by an author named Nell Irvin Painter, and it's called um, A History of White People, which sounds counterintuitive to read in terms of understanding diversity and inclusion better, but it really is a history of how race and class became defined as early as the the Greek civilization all the way up to the start of of state-sponsored racism in in our own country. I feel like, I'll let you guys know in a few weeks if I get through it because it's a, a pretty heavy tome, but that understanding kind of even more of that history is going to help me to better understand and stop some of those thoughts like that Kyle had um, because I understand from the beginning how race was created by a group of people to enhance their place of superiority in the food chain, so to speak, and and how it really doesn't have um, the same subscriptions that we've applied to it for, you know, hundreds and thousands of years. So I'll check out yours. I'll let you know how mine is. And I'll check out yours as well. So one one thing or well, two things that really stood out to me in this article. Um, one I've been working on for about the last six months, and I really appreciated what he said about not being silent. Um, I, I fully believe that from a white privilege perspective, especially like with family and friends, that it's so easy to let microaggressions or private conversations happen 
and not stir the boat, not, you know, whatever, stir the boat, uh, or rock the boat. There we go. It's really uncomfortable, but it's one thing that I've been practicing on every single time. And I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to call it out as I see it. And I, I think sometimes I'm not super good at it because it makes me angry. Um, and I'm trying to be more educational in my confrontation. And so that, you know, I, I heard that probably about six months ago from, from another, uh, actually a Muslim woman who said that we need to do a better job as, as white women standing, you know, with our sisters of, of other colors. And so I, I have been practicing that. And I think that if there's one thing I would like my, you know, my friends and family to adopt is kind of that same attitude of just not letting the microaggressions go and not letting those conversations pass without taking an opportunity. But then the other thing that he said that really stood out that I think just makes it so much easier to, this is going to sound terrible. I don't even know how to say this, to accept that you're privileged when he talks about the concepts of guilt and responsibility. White people have been allowed to incorrectly put some victimization of of being guilty on on their plate as a defense to not standing up to not engaging to not being an ally but it he makes a, a clear distinction and you may not agree with the distinction but it just really stood out to me is that I'm not guilty but I am responsible for making a change and for making a difference and for making my voice heard when it's necessary and amplifying the voices of others when it's time for me to be quiet. So I'm actually uh, looking for uh, something and... Okay. Yeah, I got it. Uh, So President Lyndon B. Johnson once said, if you can convince the lowest white man he's better than the best colored man, he won't notice you're picking his pocket. He'll give him somebody to look down on and he'll empty his pockets for you. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? And so, again, what that was suggesting is that that whole race thing that you are referring to in that book, when you are looking back over your privilege, even if you are not uh, committing crimes that are offensive, uh, if you are not doing things that are offensive, if you're operating in your silence, understanding that you get the benefit from whiteness, it is something that you do have to speak up on. I've been saying that for the better part of 15 years. We talked about it in episode number four when we looked at Travis L. Jones and his white privilege TED Talk. Uh, And so even in uh, looking at Kyle Corver's article, he had in there, he says, quote, and we all have to be accountable, period. Not just for our own actions, but also for the ways that our inaction can create a safe space for toxic behavior. And I will continue to say for the next 15 years, step number one in doing this work is find your voice. You cannot operate in your workplace, in your community, in your family. You cannot operate in your church, in your business. Uh, You just can't operate when you are allowing... um, You are allowing these incivilities, you are allowing these aggressions, you are allowing um, these individuals to get away with uh, things that are just not right. You got to call it out. And do you call it out and make a scene? 
I'm not suggesting that it has to always be that way, but I'm suggesting that it has to be called out. You can drop an email. You can shoot a text. I don't give a damn if you put up smoke signals, but you have to exercise your voice. I just can't say it any clearer than that. I'm going to close it with this. Kyle Corver said, and I think the standard that we have to hold ourselves to in this crucial moment, it's higher than it's ever been. We have to be active. We have to be actively supporting the causes of those who've been marginalized precisely because they've been marginalized. That's the bare minimum of where we have to get to. I think if we're going to consider the NBA or any workplace as anything close to part of the solution in 2019. So Julie, let me just say, I absolutely love that we continue to do this pod each and every, uh, I'm sorry, every other week. And at some point later this year or in 2020, because of the growth of our audience, because of the impact of our work, because of the fairness and how we cover the stories that are there. We're not making the stories up because people understand the tenor in which we speak. They can feel the energy of our action. They know that we genuinely care about humanity. We operate with a degree of empathy. We just care. I just know that we'll continue to do this work. And I'm going to be supportive of you as you continue to push through and I know, I know without a shadow of a doubt that you are going to continue to be supportive of me. Let's hit our name drops. So um, I have three this week. Um, first is the hashtag thank you note. If you haven't been following along on Twitter, hiring a leader from Business Insider and the executive editor of Business Insider, um, both proclaimed via article and then via numerous tweets that if you don't send a thank you note, then you're definitely not getting hired there. And of course, HR Twitter blew up and really uh, hopefully recognize that they have some challenges in their hiring process. Um, But if you haven't checked out the hashtag thank you note on Twitter. It's entertaining at the least, um, but you'll get to hear some really great responses to why that is a ridiculous and probably biased um, hiring perspective. Um, Also to the Trevor Project, which I I gave out a shout out to earlier, um, a fantastic organization. I'm going to link to them on our pod. Um, If you know someone who is LGBTQ and just needs someone else to talk to in their space, these guys do the best work uh, and I I commend them and support them in every way that I can. Um, thanks for talking to my kids sometimes when he needed it. And and finally to Katrina Kibben, um, who presented at Sherm Talent yesterday on um, pay diversity and and pay equity and was just has been on fire on Twitter over the last maybe two or three weeks um, talking about panels, panels that have only men. She's getting some shit for it, but she's absolutely right. And uh, I just love that she's out there fighting the good fight for all of us. So how about you? Yeah. Uh, so name drops for me, Shana and uh, Natalie from Appeal Sciences, Megan Sheckles from Capital Impact, Brent and Jolly, Kelly Joe, Katie, Natalie, Jonathan Heckert from Intergy down in Louisiana, uh, Kyla 
just some of the incredible people that I had a chance to meet yesterday in Nashville. Um, uh, also, or that they spent some time with me. We had a private dinner discussing all things DNI. So I just wanted to shout them out. Nice. Awesome. 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 So what do you got going on for the next couple of weeks? So, um, you know, again, I want to just thank the folks over at SHRM, uh, SHRM Talent Conference for having me on the agenda next uh, year. When I come back main stage, let's make that happen. I'm looking forward to Yellow Strive uh, event May 1st and 2nd up in Chicago. If you have not gotten your ticket, uh, go to Yellow Strive or I'm sorry, yellow.co forward slash strive dash conference, something like that. Find it. You can find it. Yeah, you're fine. You, you smart enough. Y'all will find it. Uh, actually, I'm <laughs> um, looking forward to doing that. And then catch me this week on Sirius XM channel 126 Sunday afternoon, 1 p.m. I'm going to be talking to Mr. Richard Bronson of 70 million jobs. If you're not familiar with Richard Bronson or 70 million jobs, think Wolf of Wall Street, but this time he's got a different bite. So make sure you tune in. Awesome. 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 So I'm going to be enjoying the next few days at National Diversity Council's conference. I have a webinar with Hudson Mann on Monday about the pay gap, not the sexiest topic, but super important. And then next week, I'm headed to a recruitment marketing leadership summit in Chicago, um, which is put on with Smashfly and TA Tech. And then just from there, a couple of weeks to heading to Lisbon, uh, Portugal for TA Tech Europe. All right. Well, look, good people. Uh, it's been another episode for Julie and I with Crazy and the King. Uh, I want to just leave you with uh, privilege is something that we should all uh, be conscious of. And so if you are conscious of privilege, then I want you equally as conscious of finding your voice. Have an awesome week. We're ghost. See ya. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.